this week on the Roommates Podcast. And, and like I said, I think for a healthy guy, the greatest satisfaction he gets is seeing his wife panning, out of breath, exhausted, and smiling. And we're saying... <laughs> I did that to her. Thank you very much. That's what we're created to do. Amen. 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 Oh, man. I, I didn't think that would hit you so much. Amen. Gary, you definitely do that. With but when you're, when you're with your wife, instead of watching another guy do it, that's what God created you oh to do. God. And so that's why you have to kind I see why you still run a marathon. Yo, what's good, America? It's your boy, Hafiz. Chris, the star of the show, baby. And welcome, welcome, welcome yep. to another episode of Roommates Podcast, a late night conversation taking you, mm. the listeners, behind the scenes of Becoming, featuring all the interesting people, perspectives, and conversation you experience on the way. Hey, watch that chord. I'll see the chord. Also, also, known as the best hour every week where you are. Entertained like a stand-up. Educated like a TED Talk and... Enlightened like a sermon. And... Speaking of sermons. Speaking of sermons, <laughs> but before that... <laughs> We want to shout out everybody yeah. who supports and listens to the Roommates Podcast. We wanted to let you guys know who are listening via any type of podcast streaming app, whether that's Apple Podcasts, mm -hmm. Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, yep. that our podcast is now available. The full episode is available on YouTube. We're moving up. We're, we're moving that's, up. That's we're, doing, we're doing new things. So our podcast is also available on YouTube. So you go to YouTube.com slash The Roommates Podcast, YouTube.com slash The Roommates Podcast, and you'll be able to listen to, not listen, watch the full episode. I keep forgetting that we do this now. I got to dress up better. <laughs> Don't judge yeah, me how I look yeah. right now. My shirt is definitely not ironed. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't bother. <laughs> and if you're watching it via YouTube and you want to go ahead and drive or you want to go to work or you want to do something where you can't watch the video, go on Apple Podcasts, go on SoundCloud and you can listen to it. Thank you, Hafiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we are joined mm, mm, this mm. week. I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready. I'm not ready, honestly. Chris is not ready. With a very, very, very special, special guest. And I would like to introduce to the show the one, mm. the only, Gary Thomas. Woo! Thank you, guys. <laughs> you can't really call me the one and only, though. There's a whole Facebook page of Gary Thomas. Oh, wow. Oh, man. There's a famous exorcist who's Gary Thomas. An exorcist? A Roman Catholic exorcist. There's a mm. great jazz player who's Gary Thomas. Oh, well. So I share yeah. that name with many. With many greats. I'm, yeah, the, the yeah. Conjuring. Yes. <laughs> so, for you guys, I, I want to I let you guys know. You guys, know. You guys are in the presence of... A international oh. best-selling author. They don't know. They don't know. They don't. They don't, know. They don't understand. <laughs> Look, listen. They don't understand. Most people, mm -hmm. if you're writing a book and you did a good job, yeah, you sold five thousand books. That's a good. That's that's a, that's, that's, that's a reprint. Is my correct? Is, is that not a, a reprint? Ninety percent of books sell five thousand copies or less. Yes. Well, so, you, what? what? So, <laughs> so that's wilders. yeah. So that's a reprint. And our guy Gary Thomas. I, 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 and I'm hoping I'm not fudging your numbers. 
I saw what six hundred thousand dollars of sacred marriage, six hundred thousand copies. Uh, it's over nine hundred thousand. Oh, well, yeah, no, I'm yeah, sorry. Disrespect, yeah. my man. I'm sorry. Do not I'm sorry. disrespect. My I'm man. sorry, Gary. Nine hundred thousand, almost a million copies of his best-selling book, Sacred Marriage. And you said ninety percent only sells five thousand. Sells or less. five thousand or less. And you sold nine hundred thousand. How do you feel? Yeah. <laughs> hey, put my kids through college. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Again, people, we're not paying these people. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I'm just saying, we're not. So, guys, you guys are really going to be blessed by Gary. And, Gary, we wanted to let you know we are so thankful for you coming, fitting us into your busy schedule. Yes. Uh, we you. know our listeners are going to be blessed. Yes, I can't wait. I'm going to be blessed. <laughs> so, before we get started, I people complain about me doing this with Zach. That I you tell stories too much. Tell st- long stories before the, the the guests can talk. But I gotta tell this story about right. Gary. So yeah, we <laughs> in 2013, I was writing my first book. That's the shameless plug. Shameless plug. But <laughs> writing my very first book, and I was looking for some book endorsements. And the guy who helped me write the book, shout out to Dr. Doug Rosenau, he gave me a list of people. He was like, "Yo, this is a great this great person. Reach out to him. This, that, and the third. And he suggested Gary Thomas. Hey. I, I already knew Gary. And gotcha. I was like, oh, I read his book. He did great work. I love it. That's a great idea, Dr. Doug. I'm going to send it to Gary. So, hold on one second. Hold on. We're holding on one second. Maybe it's something where we're, oh, he moved something up and he put it back. Uh, we're still recording. Um, so, that audio was good. a bit lopsided. That was on me. Anyway, we'll fix it. Back to my story. So, he told me to reach out to Gary. So I sent Gary an email, which he kindly responded to. Thank you so much. A lot of people didn't respond to me, and I may or may not be so mad at them. <laughs> but the 900,000. <laughs> I, I sent it to Gary, and Gary said he would read my manuscript, right? Okay. So I was excited. I was getting a whole bunch of endorsements. Gary sends me an email back, and he says, Try again. <laughs> I cannot endorse this book. Didn't say it like that. Didn't say it like that. <laughs> But that's that's where I received it. (laughs) That's that's how I received this. I cannot endorse this book with, he he let a caveat, with this current manuscript. And here's why. And Gary gave me like four really, really important things that he said, this is going to be, this can be a problem. They're not going to receive this. This is not something you should be saying. And he said, go back to Dr. Doug, go back to the drawing board and make these changes. I mean, good criticism. It sounds good. The the things he told me to remove, yes. in my opinion, saved saved the work. I believe you because, in my opinion, it saved the work because it was like it was some outlandish stuff. Well, off the air, we'll talk about it, but <laughs> but on the air, we will not talk about it. But the things Gary asked me to remove really helped save, in my opinion, the credibility of my book. So Gary, I wanted to thank you <laughs> for. Uh, do you remember that? I don't. I don't. <laughs> Vaguely, now you mentioned that, I, I I get those a lot, and yeah. that it's it's harder and harder for me to do that. But uh, I'm glad you received it well. Oh, I know. Mean, I just one opinion among many, but yeah. yeah. But no, I, I mean... No, I don't want to thank you personally. <laughs> <laughs> I feast, man. <laughs> yeah. So so Gary has a best-selling book called The Sacred Marriage. Mm. And he has another book that's out. We'll talk more about it called A Sacred Search. But Gary, The Sacred Marriage, over not close to a million copies. What made you decide to write that book? Well, a couple of things. I've been writing books on how we grow spiritually. Okay. Uh, speaking as a Christian, how I become more like Jesus and, and all of that. And the thing that challenged me most 
was my marriage. Mm. And I'd never seen somebody approach marriage from that perspective. It was always how to make your marriage better, how to fix your marriage. Well, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I couldn't really feel qualified to write a book like that. But I could say, this is how my marriage has helped me become more understanding, how it's helped me deal with my pride, helped me to become more of a servant. All of those things that I'd never really seen somebody approach marriage from that regard. And so it's really my limitations and weakness that mm. I think led it to be different. Mm. I think the other message that I had that was different is that I was admitting even the best of marriages are really difficult. Got you. I'm a big fan of marriage. If I had a hundred lives, I'd want to be married in every one, but I don't mm. think there's such a thing as an easy marriage. And so often, you know, just writing in the Christian world, they try to say, well, just follow Jesus, these five principles and everything falls into place. I said, no, that doesn't happen. Mm. Marriage is a great relationship. It will change you. You'll become a different person, but it's not easy. Mm. Mm. That's well. why I'm scared, <laughs> for being honest. And then, Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and then what, what made you decide to write Sacred Marriage? Well, that was one, my kids keep eating, so I need to keep riding. It just, it really was, I, I'd, I'd kind of looked at, well, we can grow this way. One was on reading the great classics of the faith and how I'm challenged by writers that are so unlike me because they're born in different countries. They live in different lands and different times and face different issues. And then one about different ways that we pray and, and, and we grow in, in the Lord. That was Sacred Pathways. And then one about how to practice various virtues that turn us into different people. But that was really the next step where I felt like just relationships, what was changing me most was learning how to love a woman who was so unlike me, mm. who often brought out the worst in me and mm. the best in me. I, I'm not saying it was her fault. Yeah. She brought out the worst in me. It's just anybody living about around me brings out the worst in me. <laughs> and so just wanting to look at marriage through that lens, not what we get out of marriage, but who we become mm -hmm. in our marriage. Man. Yeah, because I feel like most of society, especially like our generation growing up, uh, we always think about what can we get, you know, with some, yeah. uh, wow. some of the, um, you know, the good qualities of marriage, you know, having sex, you know, all the time, <laughs> yeah. whenever. But as you know, like, uh, because he he hasn't been married. If he's having uh, sex whenever, I'm like, okay, that's, a single, guy's view. Yeah, that's a single guy's view of marriage and sex. Yeah, and, and you know, it's the same, Chris, with parenting. Because I've had some people say, well, we don't know if we should be parents because we're selfish and we're we're lazy and we're not sure that's the best. And 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 my comment is often, but how do you think you become less selfish and less lazy? Mm. Becoming a parent forces you to grow in those two areas because so often we think, well, this is what I got to give up. But if life is part, which I think it is, about who we become, okay. then doing hard things like getting married and having kids takes us to a new place. It's like work changes us. It's like studying to get a degree changes us. It's like, well, it's not easy to start a podcast like you guys have done, but it's probably changed who you are. And, and so often we run from the very things that make life most meaningful. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I want to wait for that one. Yeah, and so what we've noticed, especially I'm with, gonna fix my mic stand. I'll go quick. ahead. Hopefully, it doesn't. If you guys hear some crazy static, it's, it's my fault. It's, on it's me. Chris's fault. Well, let's we'll, we'll give you a minute, Chris, to wait, to no, fix no, it. I know. I just don't want you to. So, guys, it, it, this has weird static. It's Chris's fault. Anyway, so Gary, so within our generation, we've noticed that a lot of different people 
are hesitant of becoming married. You know, yeah. they they don't want to get married. They think marriage is a bad transaction. They've seen their parents, pa- uh, yeah. their parents' marriage fail, and they're really hesitant about committing and being in this contract with another person. Have you noticed that in regards to just the, the culture and the climate that a lot of people have been hesitant of getting married? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it's true. And I and I get it. Yeah. I mean, you see these people who've been married sometimes 20 or 30 years and you say they don't even like each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants that. Yeah. But I do think most of us will do better by being married. We'll become the people that I think God meant for us to be by being married. What do you Bring mean by that? Well, I think being married has forced me to learn how to understand my wife, a, a woman, differently. It's taught me how to be more patient. It's taught me that I've got to be serving more. Uh, it's it's challenged my pride, my sense of mm. entitlement, um, all of those things. The things that I want to be in my ideal self mm. that I hate becoming. It, mm. It's sort of like working out. I. I don't lift people. <laughs> I run. I run a lot. Yeah. And I've done a bunch of marathons and whatnot. And okay. it's like, it's fun to get to do the marathon if you did the training, right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. miserable to do the marathon. And you say, well, why do people lift weights and make themselves hurt? And you just take time out. You don't feel like it. It's like, well, because I want to become a different kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I think in marriage, it really does change who you are. I don't think you ever look at life the same yeah. after you've had kids. So you would say that you are a better person being married than being single? A hundred times so, yeah. for me. And see, yeah. that's obviously in, in my society. Like, a lot of people, like, they like their freedom, their independence, you know, doing what they are. They don't want to be too vulnerable or, you know, hide their, all their eggs in one bag, basket. They want to just be, you know, free. And they feel like marriage is something where it's like, you know, it's kind of not like a jail, but it's like they're locked in forever. You know, um, it's something that it has like all we hear is like a lot of negative, especially like, you know, the music we hear and the the, the consumption with TV and society. It's just like, why get married kind of thing? Well, I, I, I mentioned it before. If I had 100 lives, I'd want to be married in every one. I like what it's done. Mm. I like what it means. Uh, it Again, it, it hasn't been easy. I, I, it's the whole basis of sacred marriage was that yeah. that I don't think it's easy. But I think having someone like I have with my wife and going through the issues we're going through, I was just telling you guys beforehand, my wife just came out pretty some scary medical stuff. We had to reschedule this. She had a tumor in her chest. You know, and at some point, you know, it, if you just do it by God's power, usually you get together, let's say in your 20s, um, maybe early 30s, although it, you know, it could be later for others, but basically you're at your best, you look your best, you're your healthiest, you're most vibrant, you're most engaged in life, and that's wonderful. And then you have kids and whatnot, but then you get to a stage in your 60s and 70s where you're just kind of helping each other through the medical issues that you face. And mm-hmm. it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're attracted to certain things and you enjoy each other in life, but then it's nice having that person at the end. I I, you know, I had no, I, I remember when Hugh Hefner had his 80th birthday. My son was next to me. I don't remember how old he was. Hugh Hefner. What a name. You just- um, and, and they were saying, now, who wouldn't want his life, you know, mm-hmm. because of Playboy Mansion and all that. And I could look at my son with all sincerity and say, I think I've had a better life than Hugh Hefner. Mm-hmm. I would rather yeah. really love and grow with one woman than have him on his deathbed. Okay, which of the... 
Which one? Hundreds yeah. I've been with. Yeah. Do I want there with me at the very end? To me, that's a very lonely life. I think it's an empty life, and I'm looking at my kids and who they are and what they've become, and I, I wouldn't trade that for anything because yeah. I, it's not just what my wife and I are. It's the three kids that I think we're given to the world that we're not going to be here forever, but we're leaving some pretty incredible kids behind that are also doing their thing. And I, I just, I think there's nothing like it. Mm. And so Gary made reference to this, but the premise of his book, his best-selling book, The Sacred Marriage, is what if God made marriage to make you holy and not happy? And what more than to make you happy? More than yeah, to subtle make you happy. thing, okay, but I like okay. it. I'm not anti happiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fact, can, can I explain? Go I ahead. Go I, ahead. I don't go want ahead, to take this please. away from you, but um, I, when I did the revised version, I was able to do this because obviously that's a provocative quote. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than make us happy? But there's a longtime dead guy, dead a couple hundred years, named John Wesley. I know John. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> and, and he said, no one is truly ho- happy who's not pursuing holiness. Holy. I know in this world that seems whacked out. It seems crazy. Yeah. But I just want to ask you this. Have you ever met a truly happy addict? It doesn't matter what they're addicted to. Yeah. But there's pleasure when they're given into that, but there's usually far more misery in between, have you ever met a guy whose anger isn't under control, who's really happy? Mm. You know, he's destroying all of his... You ever met a woman who's wrapped in materialism or she's always negative and always... She's not happy. She's, she's never pleased. And so I think rather than choosing between happiness and holiness, for me, it's pursuing holiness, which I would describe as becoming like Jesus Christ. And that's what builds happiness. Because whenever I don't act, like Jesus, that's when I'm turning people off. I have to say, I'm sorry. I have to ask for their forgiveness. And it usually leads me to places I don't want to go in the first place. So mm. it's just, you get happiness, but I believe you get it by pursuing holiness rather than vice versa. If I pursue what I think is going to make me happy, uh, ultimately, I don't think I get holy and I give up happiness. Mm. So it's like, like the happiness probably to society is like money, yeah. the right job, women or men, uh, status, power, you know, you're pursuing all those things ultimately won't make you happy in the long run. But you pursue holiness, you know, love, kindness, basically being more like like Jesus, then the happiness in becoming holy would be more satisfying. I think so. Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. And that doesn't make sense to the natural man within because I like to receive. Mm. But I got to say, at the end of the day, I bet you would feel this way, both of you and, and, and people watching or listening. Think about it. When do you go to bed really satisfied? It's often you did something good. Mm-hmm. You responded to something. You're, you're connected to people or whatnot. I think ultimately we know that in our heart of hearts when we be who God created us to be. That's when we're most contented and that's when we're happiest. If we, you know, I don't, we're not usually proud of ourselves when we live a life when it's just about our own pleasure and other people have to pay for our pleasure. See, what I love about marriage, there could be a lot of pleasure. You talk about sex and marriage, but your greatest pleasure comes from pleasing your wife. Mm. I mean, that's, that, that's even better than you being, and, and so marriage sort of feeds into a holiness and happiness where you're satisfied, but you're sat, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no, I didn't use this person, 
I made her very happy. And so mm. you're happy. And so I, I think it's just, I think God's way is best. So like, will you tell this person that say you have all the happiness in the world that can offer? Dan Bilzerian. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that guy. Um, <laughs> and um, like, where are the steps to becoming holy? Like, what would you say is the first two or three steps in being like, all right, like, I hear what you're saying, Gary. Like, I can see that in my life, but how can I, me personally, start to become holiness? Okay. Let me just say, speaking as a a Christian, mm-hmm. I don't preach the Bible to people who don't already believe in Jesus. I don't think the words of the Bible are verbal grenades that I'm to throw at people who don't believe. Okay. okay. I think the words of the Bible are love letters to people who already do believe. Mm. Gotcha. Once somebody's right with Jesus, to use a theological language, this might sound bizarre to some people, we believe the Holy Spirit comes in us, that's God's power, that's God's presence. And then God lives through us. God gives us the power to embrace what he tells us to do. He helps us become gentle and, and, and humble and courageous and kind and speak up in all of those things. And so I, I wouldn't try to tell somebody who isn't in Jesus, the issue is that you should try to become more kind or you shouldn't lust or you shouldn't be materialistic because they're doing it on That doesn't help them. Yeah. Does, I mean, ultimately, as a Christian, if that doesn't reconcile them with God, if it doesn't make them right with God, mm-hmm. it's, okay, fine. You might be a more pleasant person, but in the end, yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter that much. So I, I really stress first, I think you have to get right with God and then behavior follows. And I think the church has really been held back because we act like non-Christians should do what Christ tells us to do. And I'd say, mm-hmm. why would I don't, I don't, I don't follow what... Buddha would say to do or Confucius or Muhammad. And somebody says, well, Muhammad says you should do this or Confucius or Buddha. I, like, so? I'm, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so why do Christians think that, well, because the Bible says you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't. I mean, I, I just think we've lost yeah. a lot by having that backwards approach. And we've, mis- we've misled people that they think faith is all about a bunch of those do's and don'ts when it's really about the most amazing relationship you can have. Mm. Yeah, and then it even coincides with what Gary's talking about with the with the marriage is that a lot of people, if your heart is not in the right place, you know, if your heart is not healed, if your heart is not in love with the one you're in relationship with, mm-hmm. it seems like a burden, right? So a lot of people nowadays don't want to get married. Why? Because they're like, what about all these options? Yeah. But like, if you're in so in love with one person and you're committed to one person, connected with one person, you wouldn't even want the options. Yeah. The same thing with God. Like if you're so in love with Christ, if, you, if you're connected with Christ, you don't want to sin, you know, not because you're like, oh, I'm missing out. No, I don't like... I'm happy here. Like my joy is found in here. My mm-hmm. peace is found in here. And I don't want to go because in the in the world, you know, outside my marriage, whatever it may be, there's no joy to be found, but just misery. Gotcha. And um, so Gary, how long have you been married for? 34 years. 34 years. Wow. Oh yeah, my I'm, goodness. I'm younger than that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So 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 you so you 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 know what you're you know what you're talking about. A lot of people look at your marriage and say, wow, 34 years, happily married. Beautiful kids, beautiful family, beautiful careers. Like, that sounds great. But they look at their parents' marriages. Look at their auntie and uncle, their friends, and people they see on TV, and they see divorce and issues, all types of troubles and turbulations. And so being married for 34 years, and obviously, you know, counseling different married couples, why do you think there's such a large amount of people divorcing if marriage is supposed to be this good, happy, healthy thing? 
Because I think marriage is very difficult. In fact, okay. the Bible promises people marriage is going to be difficult. There's this book written by James, who was Jesus's half brother, mm. right? They shared the same mother, Mary. Jesus, we believe, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. So he, he had a lot of, and, and this is a big thing. I mean, when your brother thinks you're God, that's, that's, yeah. that's a pretty compelling thing to me. I had a great older brother. I never thought he might be God. But James goes up. He's writing to the early church. He had a lot of authority because of his relationship with Jesus. And he said, uh, we all stumble in many ways. I think because he grew up with Jesus, there's power behind those words because he says, look, I've, and everybody knew this. They knew who he was when he wrote these. I've lived with a perfect man. Yeah. I've seen how he's acted. And if you had lived with a perfect man as I have, you'd know the best of us on our best days. Yeah. Mm. We mess up in many ways. And so we're told that marriage isn't going to be easy because you're going to be marrying a person who's going to find creative and new ways to mess up. And so you've got to have something in your life that can overcome that. Infatuation blinds you to the fact that this person messes up. Neurologically, that's true. What do you mean by that? Uh, it's, it's neurologists, neuroscientists call it idealization, which mm -hmm. means when you're infatuated with someone, you turn them into someone you want them to be. Mm. You, you see strengths they don't really have. They do something that doesn't really have any moral meaning and you give it great moral meaning. He's so kind, she's so thoughtful, he's so funny. And, and it was almost an accident, but you want him to be this person. And then you miss all of the things that your friends see. Mm. You know, man, are you sure she's a, she's a bit negative? No, no, she just she's passionate or man, <laughs> he's angry. No, I think he's and, and and they miss that and so you don't really know who someone is when you're infatuated with them. You're you're turning them into something they're not. But infatuation has a shelf life about 12 to 18 months. Mm. It's going to be a big reveal when you wake up and you're like, "Oh." And so after that infatuation, that's where you see James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. And you have to say, okay, what is the power in my life that as an imperfect person who stumbles in many ways, marrying another imperfect person who stumbles in many ways, how do we make this work? Mm -hmm. And for us, it was the life and grace of Jesus Christ. If I believe that God accepts me as I am, as someone who stumbles in many ways, mm -hmm and it's forgiven me far more than I could ever forgive my wife for, mm. then I'm going to be less likely to ask her to be, be perfect. And mm. so it's receiving from God so that I can give to my spouse. That's what's kept our marriage alive because we don't stop stumbling just because we become Christians. We don't stop stumbling just because we become married. Mm. That goes on, but God's grace never stops being poured out if you go to him for it. So I don't, I don't know how to build a marriage yeah. apart from God. I know you have a lot of listeners that, yeah. that might not be there, but I was asked one time to come back to Singapore. I'd been there once before. And they said, Gary, we'll give you a whole lot of money. The Did government will bring you in <laughs> to, oh, wow. to, to, to speak Gosh. on marriage. And then you could speak to the churches for free. Well, I like that. You don't have to charge the churches. He yeah. goes, the only thing is when you speak for the government, you got to leave out the God stuff. Mm. Oh, and I said, I can't do that. I'm, yeah. Again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. It's not like, here's how you handle conflict. Here's how, for me, it really does come back. It's not just, my faith isn't something that's just tacked on at the end. It's yeah. the central part of what motivates me to love my wife every day. So it's what seems like you should have a strong foundation in God first before you even pursue a relationship. 
I think so. Or, or I you think can, I, you think people can do it either like after they're already married? I'm just asking. Well, I mean, if you're already married, you got to start somewhere. But th- there's mm. another verse written by a guy named John that says, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. I-, I can just tell you personally, when I'm receiving from God in the morning, when I mean that, what I mean by that, when I'm just even reading from the Bible, when I'm praying and God speaks to me, I feel like he's affirming me. He's encouraging me. He's forgiving me. He's accepting me. I'm a different man. I affirm others. I encourage others. I can forgive others. I did that with my wife. I did it with my kids. They're away from the house now. But back when they were there, I'm just, I'm a different person when I receive from God first. The less I receive from God, the more I demand from people Mm. and people usually disappoint. Yeah. So what it sounds like to me in regards to why most people are divorcing, you're saying that there's a lack of forgiveness. So are you saying that what happens is where when, since like you said, like James says, since we stumble in many ways, when people eventually do stumble, that hurts somebody else and that causes them to want to leave. Is that what you're communicating? I think that's a cause. I'm not sure it's the only, I think another one is that people have small lives. If Mm. you're living for yourself, which is kind of the single life you were describing, Chris, and saying, well, I've got this going, I've got Mm. all the girls I want, I got this, that that gets boring. Mm. Because I think you're made for more than that. And for a while, in the intensity of the moment, that is still, but eventually when you get alone, you're going to say, there's got to be more to this. And usually what that happens when we're not who God created us to be and doing what God created us to do, our romantic partner is the easiest person to blame. Mm. If you were better or more fulfilling, then I wouldn't have this sense of emptiness, but we're thinking back to when we were infatuated with this person. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I've seen people, I knew they were head over heels infatuated. They're crazy about a person. And then they get married or something. They say, well, truth is I never loved you. Mm. I think you've just forgotten. I remember when you were insanely Mm. head over heels, but Mm. we forget, but we can remember what it should feel like. And so when we stop feeling it, we think, well, I can discover it with someone else. And you can, if that's what you're living for, you're going to be a series of relationships of four or five years, you know, take your pick at the end of your life, which one you want to be with at the end, but, mm. but you're not going to have a long marriage. So it sounds like people today are addicted to infatuation. Yeah. Oh, they, I think so. Infatuated yeah. with infatuation. Exactly. Yeah. And so like now when people think of romance, they think about The Notebook, they think about all these Hollywood movies, they think about like the, this... Come on, you didn't watch The Notebook, did you? Did you really watch it? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Gosh, he probably sending letters right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, and so what it seems like is that that's what people expect. People expect that they expect to always be happy. They expect to be complete. They expect all their partner to do all these things. And then what Gary is saying that the neurological rush of all types of chemicals in your mind goes away and that infatuation period goes away and then you realize that you're not feeling this anymore and this person isn't what I thought they were mm-hmm. and then you leave because wait marriage is supposed to make me happy you're not making me happy so why not leave mm. and you know the author of the notebook Nicholas Barks got, got divorced. a divorce yeah and all these people have sung you know I'm going to say music from the 70s which is going to 
completely lose all of your ones. But <laughs> yeah. Love Will Keep Us Together, they got a divorce. John Denver, Annie's song, he got a divorce. I mean, all of these people that sing about it, Billy Joel, I Like You Just The Way You Are, was sung to his first of three wives. So, <laughs> first of three. <laughs> I like you just the way you are, but I guess I like her more. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. The people who create this culture with that thought, because mm -hmm. infatuation makes for great music, great movies, great novels. It doesn't make for a great marriage. Neurologically, it's not possible. I mean, you, you, that's tough to hear, man. I'm telling you, it's in, in, in when it, the way I grew up, you know what I mean? It's all about making, living your best life now. You know? Yeah. And sometimes that's, God is not present in that. Mm. Well, most of the times, if you, if you say that, but I don't know. But um, that's, that's, that's. So what do you, so I remember you said in your book, a lot of times people, they come in, they sit down in your office and you have conversations with them and you're able to see, oh, this is probably not going to work. Oh, you guys haven't, you guys are about to plan a wedding that should never even happen. Yeah. What are some of the telltale signs that you've noticed that you've seen in people who say they're in love, they say they're head over heels, they say they're obsessed with one another, but you can see that this relationship, this marriage yeah, will not work. That's right. That's really good. There's a couple things you got to look for. First, when they say, I want to get married, marriage means different things to different people. What are you really looking for? Somebody says, we can go exercise. For some people, that's lifting weights. Yeah. For somebody, it's running. Somebody, it's biking. Very different things. Mm -hmm. Two people can like to exercise and not want to do it together. Yeah, that's <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Like <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you mean? Marriage is that broad of a term. So I, that, that's a big thing. What are you expecting out of this relationship? Secondly, um, I think a big thing is if, you're, if one is dealing with an addiction, here's what I've found. If you've gone through an addiction and you're in recovery and you've dealt with it, you often have more self-awareness. You can be a deeper person. You can be more in touch. You can be a great partner. If you haven't dealt with the addiction, what I've found, you can't cherish a spouse if you cherish an addiction. An addiction turns you into a self-centered narcissist. Mm. Ultimately, wow. it's all about getting the hit. Whatever the hit is, buying a new dress, seeing something on the internet, uh, substance abuse, it all, it, it ultimately, you can't cherish a spouse if you're cherishing an addiction. So I'm really careful if I see that going on and it hasn't been dealt with, uh, I'm really nervous. I just don't think they have the, the power to, to deal with that. Uh, for me, just as a pastor, I want to make sure that they want on the same page spiritually. Uh, I, I think if you're a Christian, you should marry somebody who shares that faith. If that's the most important thing to you, People, when they're infatuated, they'll make compromises on that. Uh, it always usually causes real problems. And you want the same things out of life. Some guys really want to marry a woman who is going to stay home when they have kids and they're afraid to say it. I'd say, if you, say, if you want that, say it. There's nothing wrong. And the wife says, no, I really want to work. Well, then find a guy that wants his wife that wants to work or that will support you if you're the one that's working. But those are the practical things that, causes real issues in marriage, you just got to say, be honest about what you want. You can't pretend for the rest of your life. I've seen some women, do they, they, they fall in love and get infatuated with an outdoors guy. 
And so suddenly they're buying rock climbing gear and tents and whatnot. And, 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 and you know what? Really, their idea of camping is going to the Hilton, you know? And it's just like, you, you got to be honest with who you are because if you're infatuated with someone, you know the infatuation is going to fade. When it does, do you still want the same things? That's what helps a marriage go long-term. Mm. So it, it, that seems to me is like what ends up happening is when you reach that point of infatuation with a person, not only do you not see them for who they truly are, you're putting on a facade and not being who you really are. You're being who they want you to be. Yes. You know, you're being yeah. the person, like, oh, he likes rock climbing. So now I like rock climbing. Oh, she wants to work. Oh, yeah, I love a working woman. You know, like you yeah, begin. <laughs> but you begin to, because you want this person, I guess we can say it's out of a a good heart that you want to be with this person. So, so you end up compromising who you are, but you're saying that at that initial stage, you need to be honest and true to yourself and not compromising in that area? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, you can't pretend your whole life. You can pretend for a dating relationship for a little bit, but when you're living with somebody, you just, you just can't do that. And I think it's one of the worst forms of fraud is to pretend to be something you're not, to like things you don't like, to get somebody to marry you. Mm. Because you can't keep up fraud your entire life. And, and don't you want to be loved and accepted for who you are, not who you pretended to be? So yeah. if, if you want to keep on writing, Hafiz, I would say marry a working woman who's rich. <laughs> when people say, well, it's the best advice you'd give to a writer because it doesn't usually create much money. I'd yeah. say, yeah, marry somebody who's rich. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, what stood out to me is like, if you're not over an addiction, you shouldn't get married. Like, because addiction comes in many forms as we all it know. Does. So it's just like, um, I think the biggest, the biggest form we want to go down this topic now is usually pornography and uh, sexual sin. So it's like, what's the importance if you want? Let's go with men first. Like, yeah. what's the some of the negative effects that pornography and sexual sin? Let's do pornography because I think the other ones is a little deeper of a rabbit trail. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> let, let, let me just say for you guys and 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 kind of the listeners are probably close to you in age. I. I grieve for the battles you've had to fight that I didn't. Mm. The high-speed internet has changed the way people consume pornography, and it's changed the way it impacts a guy's brain. Mm. And I've tried to plead with wives and girlfriends to help them understand it's not a fair fight to tell the 12-year-old boy, click on this button, and you get to see what a naked woman looks like. Mm. We're so curious. I mean, it's not even necessarily salacious. It's just... I always kind of wondered. And then click on this button and you can see what sex, you just want to know. And for some guys, not all, but for some, it takes over their brain. It's a rush like they've never had before. And they might have shame so they don't tell anybody. So they keep going back and they create neurological patterns in their brain. And it stops being a moral issue. It's almost basically a biological one at a certain point where even if they want to stop, it just feels impossible for them to do it. But here's the thing. I think it's been demonstrated in a lot of ways. Uh, we can get explicit here. Erectile dysfunction <laughs> didn't exist for guys in their 20s 30 years ago. Mm. Wow. It, I mean, doctors wouldn't even think about it. Today, it does. And I think the biggest explanation that I've seen, guys can see more naked women in a three-hour binge than their grandparents would have seen in a hundred lifetimes. Mm. 
And so they lose the ability to be excited by the same woman. Now you, mm. you're gonna think I'm crazy, but God is here. So I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say this before him. If God were to say to me, I could have sex with anybody I want tonight, I would choose my wife who I've been married to for 34 years. And when that happens in marriage, what happens? Oxytocin is released in your brain. And the more you have sex with your wife, the more you're literally training your brain to find the person you're having with sex with more attractive and other women less attractive. I mean, it's a brilliant brain thing that goes on. The God says, you have sex often in marriage. You're training yourself to find your spouse to be the most beautiful woman in the world. The way pornography works is exactly the opposite. The dopamine hits from seeing something you've never seen before. Guys that look at pornography will know this. If they've seen that video, if they've seen that picture, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. They want something else. It's been used up. It's gotta be something new. It's gotta be something different. That's why pornography tends to be more progressive. It's why it tends to take a lot longer. And so basically it's training you to respond sexually in a way that makes you less satisfied in marriage. Because mm. it's, it's not meant to lead to satisfaction. Mm. And, and like I said, I think for a healthy guy, the greatest satisfaction he gets is seeing his wife panning out of breath, exhausted and smiling. <laughs> and we're saying, <laughs> I did that to her. Thank you very much. That's what we're created to do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, man. I, I didn't think that would hit you so Amen. much. Amen. <laughs> Gary, you definitely do that. <laughs> but when you're, when you're with your wife, instead of watching another guy do it, that's what God created you oh, to do. God. And so that's why you have to kind of- I see of, why you still run a marathon. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but but th that's why you're, you're trying to keep the kind of brain that uh, can be excited- <sighs> by your wife, that finds your wife more beautiful. And for me, it's important because you know, this culture is so severe against women. I mean, guys mm. too now on what the stereotypical guy is supposed to look like, which obviously isn't me. But I mean, <laughs> just for women, it's just like, um, it, it's such a narrow stereotype of what a beautiful woman is supposed to be. And when a woman knows that she still turns her husband's eyes, mm when she can still make his heart stop when she steps out and says, here I am. And you're just like, you can't look at anything else. And she can tell, mm. she can tell by the way you look at her, by the way you desire her, by the way you don't desire her. I want to give that to my wife mm. as she mm. gets older. I want her to be wanted because you know what? A lot of women in their fifties feel like they're not anymore. Mm. And I think that's sad. Man, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, you go, you want to go first? Want me to go first? You can go first. So let's say we have people right now who may have just just finished <laughs> going to the pornography yeah, browser yeah, yeah. and, and, and listening yeah. to the podcast. On next. You, guys. Yeah, yeah. you know, stumble on that would next. be wild. <laughs> and so, but they feel like, oh, what's the big deal? There's no issue. There's no problem. I'm not hurting. It's normal. Like I'm Everybody good. Like I'm happy. You yeah. know, my life is good. Like I enjoy it. What's the big I can deal? Control it. You know, yeah. even if it's a girl. Like so, you know. Let's say, obviously, spiritually, we know in regards to you know the sins. We I think it's clear, but. How would you communicate that to somebody, let's say, who may not be religious and, you know, they just don't think pornography is a big deal? 
Well, look, different things hit different brains in different ways. Okay. Some people can smoke pot once a month and it's no big deal. And mm-hmm. you, you, you can't make a sermon saying this is destroying your life. Yeah. They'll laugh at you. Some <laughs> people can hit heroin one time and say, I don't ever want to do that again. Some people hit it the first time and, and they're a slave to it. Mm. And I think there's different degrees that people get attracted to porn. Some can say, well, every now and then it's just not impacting my life that much. I think as a Christian, it, there, there's still some issues there. But again, if somebody doesn't care what God thinks about what they're doing, yeah. I'm. But where a lot of guys have gone, where God isn't in the picture, if they're in a relationship where they want to be sexually responsive to a woman and they find they can't be mm. because they've seen her before and they're just their brain needs to see something new, mm. um, then often they say, you know what? Maybe I've I've created a brain that isn't capable for a kind of marriage like that. And so I I would just say, just because it's not impacting you now, I mean, that's what every addict says at the start. Mm. At gambling, I just just relieve a little bit of stress. But then you get a little more stressful and now you're not gambling once a month. You're kind of going there every weekend. Now that's what you do. And now it's like every weekend and at night you're taking lines on the game and pretty much all of a sudden you forget everything else. And they tend to progress like that. So just because you're feeling okay right now, yeah. I just say it it tends to take a bigger hit next time yeah. for you to go. And and so be careful. But for me, it was a relationship with God where I could deal with the shame that we feel, with the forgiveness, with the grace. Me giving somebody a sermon, don't look at porn, yeah. isn't going to do anything. Yeah. I think encountering something better. Yeah. The grace and mercy of God is what would calm most people out. And I've also heard of married couples who would watch pornography to spice things up. What are your thoughts on that? When I've talked to a few couples that have done it, I'm just, this is anecdotal. Again, I'm not a psychologist, so I haven't looked at a lot of studies. But eventually, what I find is the wife gets suspicious. (laughs) Why do we have to watch this for you to be excited? It is very difficult, I think, for most wives to think, um, to not compare mm. themselves and and to do that. And number two, I would think most forms of pornography they're watching, it's not about, it's not real sex. It's not real life. And so then they see this and then they're comparing it to themselves. And then you're like, well, is that really even the same thing? And so um, if you're acting something that's authentic and after something that's genuine, uh, I, I think that is sort of a, a shortcut that has real difficult long-term implications. Mm. Let, let me give an example. Of okay. This is, getting, this is getting explicit. Okay. No. This the whole here, thing about um, the, the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, mm-hmm. um, the Bible doesn't have a lot of prohibitions for sexual activity within marriage. If yeah. it's a husband and a wife yeah. and it's not demeaning, it's a shockingly silent, approach of the Bible. It doesn't say you can't do this or this. is. So I don't like to put in prohibitions that the Bible doesn't do. But again, neurologically and physiologically, if you get a sexual hit from causing pain and from receiving pain, next time you need a little bit more Mm -hmm. and then a little bit more and then a little bit. In a marriage, when you're going to be doing this for 30, 40, 50 years, Yeah. You run out of pain thresholds. Yeah. And again, I think that's the kind you of thing where I, I'm not slamming that a couple. They do 
things every month. Like, I'm not going to police anybody's bet. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't see the point of doing that. But it's just like there, there are these things where I think because you're not connecting in all aspects in your relationship, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and sexually, you try to do this shortcut. Well, if we do this, we'll spice up the sex life. I'm just saying, but long term, is that really going to solve it or is it going to make things worse? And, and I found if you have a full life, mm. if you have meaning in your life, I believe if you're connected with God and God is using you, you have that fulfillment, you have good hobbies, you're in health and you're exercising, doing the things, if you're raising kids together, whatnot, sex is incredible because you don't ask it to do more than it's intended to do. Mm. Sex you. is a great seasoning to life. The end of a good day, you have sex with your wife, you both sleep well, it's wonderful. <laughs> but if you if you if you live for sex, man, that's asking too much of it. Mm. And that's what I see often happening with porn and with these sexual opportunities. Well, it you, you're not putting it in its proper context because when you ask too much of something, you 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 crush it. Mm. And and instead of it adding to your life, it takes away your life yeah I, yeah i have never heard that sex was a season <laughs> that was dope yeah, I, yeah that was crazy <laughs> that was I a bar by yeah. gary so like my, my question was if, if there are guys out there or, or women out there that are addicted to pornography what are some of the steps i know you like i like i know you're yeah. not like a, a you know a therapist or whatever yeah. and i know you're gonna like is this a national? This is you have national listeners all over, right? International, so, international, international, seven different right, continents, including in Antarctica. Yeah, I mean. Well, here's the thing. First, I think, and as a pastor, I'm going to say this. So I'm sorry if this turns some people off, nah, but I, I think first it. you got to deal with the forgiveness. You got to deal with the soul issues. For me, uh, it, it, it's not strong enough. I, I wouldn't be strong enough on my own. I think it's having the Holy Spirit within me where God has given me something better. Because a lot of times it's fueled by shame. It's fueled by feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Iron will discipline is enough. In fact, if you are what we'd call addicted to porn, your self-discipline won't be strong enough. Yeah. Neurologically, you've so greased the skids. It's like an alcoholic. It's like some of the drugs that at some point you need outside help. Very few. You always hear the one person says, well, I got tired of it. I threw away the bottle. I haven't drunk, had anything again in 30 years. That happens. Yeah. But you know what? Michael Jordan could fly and that doesn't mean we can fly. So um, you got to accept that. So I think you deal with the spiritual issue. Then secondly, if you really want to deal with it, there are people now that will help you repattern and retrain your brain. Mm. I I look at this. If I broke my arm, well, my wife had the tumor out of her chest. There's nothing she could do to remove that tumor from her chest. She needed to go to somebody who had studied, who understood the mechanics, what's going on with her body to take it out. At some point, you may need to retrain your brain where you go with the specialist. Here at Second Baptist, we have a specialist, Ben O'Bauer. And if people are in Houston hearing this, you can get an appointment with him. But he he's certified. He goes to the things. He knows how to, he'll, he'll give guys a test. You know, mm. are you addicted or is it just, there's a difference between a temptation, a habit, and an addiction. Mm. Um, a, a temptation means every guy, I think, at least most guys are going to be tempted at some point come across something. I mean, we're just made visual. Oh, a, habit, a, a habit is you're, you're doing it, but you've got it under control. I, I don't know, maybe, what was a habit? 
once a month or less or something. I mean, if you can go a month without it, then you you could probably go longer, but you keep stumbling. That, that's a habit that I think you you have accountability with friends can do that. You do software stuff that can help you out. There, there are ways you can deal with it. But if you're finding yourself, you don't want to do it and you're going back to something a few times a week, even a couple times a week, at that point, I think it's maybe a neurological issue mm. and you need to deal with a counselor who has understanding to help you retrain your brain and give you the, the, the mental steps to be able to walk out of it. Because if you've said to yourself a hundred times, I'm done with this and you're not, mm. you're going to get more of the same unless you get some help. And I, and I would just say that there's no shame in that. There's no shame. My wife can't take the tumor out of her chest. And I think a guy that's really, truly addicted is going to need some professional help. Mm. to get his brain refigured because it's 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 a neurological thing and i think too often we it's it might start off as a moral failing but once it becomes a neurological battle let's just deal with it on that basis god has grace and mercy and casting more shame and guilt on people doesn't help mm. I, I love I love that distinction that he yeah, talked yeah, about you know temptation habit yeah, yeah but sure. like you said like when it's for some people when it's that severe neurological addiction you know that there's going to be maybe a lot like a lifetime lifetime struggle yeah. in regards yeah. to dealing with this issue yeah huh do you have something else on that topic well what about people that's not in Houston cuz i know you say you, you be a guy here in Houston can definitely you know help and yeah but like what about people if you have any thing that pops up in your head that's well uh there are Various organizations that I think can point people to that family life today is a Christian-based one. Focus on the family is a Christian-based one, mm-hmm. where if you look on their website, um, Triple X Church mm-hmm. has some help. Uh, Covenant Eyes is another mm-hmm. website. If you do the Triple X, just make sure you put church at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I would say the same thing, but you know, I think it's, joke. <laughs> I think it's, I don't know if it's covenanteyes.com or to covenanteyes.org, but there are places that have a lot of articles and they have some referral places where not only you can get some software for your um, computer, computer, your iPhone, iPad and whatnot. Yeah. But the reality is, look, if you're addicted, you're going to, you're going to find a way to get around it. Most people, I mean, you can mm-hmm. disable it. You've got to, <laughs> you, you, you've got to deal with the other issues. And, and I would just say to the guys out there, doesn't think it's a big deal. Why do you think so many men go to weekly groups to get rid of this? Why are they going through classes and buying books to be done with it? If it's not negatively impacting them. I mean, I, I think you just talk to the people that feel like they're in its clutches and that tells you, man, they're, 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 they're pretty serious about getting out of this. So they would tell you, you take this further down the road, they're willing to spend a lot of time and money and effort to stop doing what you're doing. And so yeah. it's very likely you could end up like that. Mm. Yeah, and the thing that really stood out to me that Gary was describing was that for people who eventually want to have a family, who eventually want to be good fathers and Mm -hmm. be good husbands and have the type of marriage. Some people may not want what Gary have, you know, 35 years, kids, all that stuff. But if you want to have that and you want to be committed, loving, and serving one person, what the pornography is doing is that it's building habits in which you're learning to never be satisfied Mm -hmm. with that one person. You're beginning to objectify and consistently have this self-gratification in which... 
like any type of um, higher addiction, you're going to have to go to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And then you're never going to be at the point where that one woman that your wife would be able to make you happy. And I think mm-hmm. that's just something in which if you do love, like I guess for our guys who are not married, like oh, how does it relate to me? You know, like I, what I'm seeing is that like if you want to get there one day, mm-hmm. if let's say even though today you're doing whatever you're doing, but if you want to, get to where Gary's at and have this family, have this life in the future, what you're doing today is not helping you. It's actually sidetracking you from being the man that you desire to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, Afiz, I would add yeah. what it's turning you into. I have a friend, he's married to, he's, he's my age. His wife is beautiful though. I mean, we're, we're talking to his kids because we were talking about ethnicities. He said, well, what's your mom? And both the boys just laughed and said, Barbie. Yeah. I mean, she, she's, she's blonde, tall, yeah. skinny, that, that, that kind of thing. And when my friend was with her, they'd been married just a few years there at the grocery store. And this guy was clearly undressing her. I mean, he's just gazing. Oh, 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 and my friend saw In the store, he's mentally yeah. doing that. And he said, she goes, Steve, it happens all the time. She goes, and I can feel it when they're behind me doing it. Mm. She goes, it feels like mental rape. Mm. Wow. And and I think there's a spiritual force behind it. And so I would just ask the guys, and I think the women listening know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They felt guys, and I just want to say, is that the kind of guys we want to be that when we're around them, there's that creepy feeling? And, and you know, you think, well, I'm in my 20s. That's just who I am. But, but why do you think you're going to leave that? I, don't, I didn't ever want to be the 50-something guy ogling his 20-something daughter's friends. Mm. I don't think yeah, any of No, <laughs> see, the way you guys react, <laughs> yeah, 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 you see? Yeah, yeah. But, but how do you stop that once you become that? And so yeah. it's not just what you want for your marriage. Is what is this activity turning you? Is it turning you into that kind of a guy? Because that's, that's kind of the guy that Hugh Hefner was near the end of his life, yeah. romantically embarrassed by a woman young enough to be his granddaughter. Mm. Great-granddaughter. One of his girls were 18. No, thank you. No, that are you serious? Yeah, you didn't know that. Oh, no, he 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 has like all his girlfriends. He had, actually they were twins. Because he was like eighty. Yeah, oh, yeah, my. they were twins too. Hey man, yeah, <laughs> the birth of sin comes forth and, and becomes you know death. death. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. yeah, man. So um, there's also like this new thing. I'm not sure if you've been hearing about it. It probably was. No offense, like back in the day, back in the you know, time, they, back but it's coming yeah. back. But like open relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. What's it? Polyamorous on us? Like yeah, what? Are, like there's people who like are in open relationship. You know, stuff like married, happy, doing. The, and they yeah. say they're good. Like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, that was a that kind of came in the in the seventies. It yeah. was another thing. I feel it was during your time. And if you <laughs> if you go back. Uh, I don't think they hardly ever end well. I just don't think we were created that way. I think sex is bigger than being a physical activity. I don't think you can sustain the kind of marriage most people want if you're doing that kind of activity. Um, I just, I don't. again, I think that's the short-term thing. We're going to bring us in some excitement, but it's going to have huge long-term implications. And if you were to follow the people who were glorifying that lifestyle in the 70s and, and look back now as you could, okay, how long, how did that end? How well did that last? Now, I, I don't think that's the whole answer because, well, we're still together and we're still happy. For me, it, my marriage is about more than me. I, I want to proclaim a whole different picture of Christ and the church. And, and 
I, I think there are spiritual truths that I'm trying to proclaim through my life. So it's not just about personal pleasure at the time. But um, I, again, I've found throughout my life, I think God's way is always best. If, if uh, you ever heard Jackie Hill Perry? Mm-hmm. You know we haven't. Okay. <laughs> You heard Jackie Hill? And Sam loves her, bro. She's got a yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's rapper, and then she's just got a book coming out called uh, "Gay Girl, Good God." Huh? Gay girl, good God. Okay, I thought I heard the title. Yeah. Okay. But but she talked about how when she was dealing with that, uh, and and the feeling she had for other women, she realized, you know what? God is a good God, mm. and so whatever He wants for me is because he wants the best for me. Mm-hmm. And I think whether you're single or whether you're married, I think most people can wake up at the end of your life and you look back and you say, it, it, God, is he doesn't want to make me miserable. He doesn't want to shame me. He doesn't want to deny me pleasure. He made me capable of feeling sexual pleasure. So if I trust that God is good, then what he's telling me is going to be good. It may not feel good right this moment, mm-hmm. but in the end, I think it does. And, and look, when people are facing temptation, I would just say this. If Satan's tempting you, do you really think that Satan's end game is to give you a great sex life? Mm. <laughs> do we think he, he wants to make you happy? That That's why he wants you to do this because ultimately, oh yeah, I want to build marriages. I want to I want to breathe new life into middle-aged marriages. Is that really, is any, we think, no, that's silly. That's mm. not what's going on. God is a good God. His words are good words. They point the way to life and health. Mm. Okay, we want to be respectful of your yeah. time, and we, gosh, there's just so much, so much, so much good goodness and gems. So mm. let's say we we have our listeners, early twenties, late twenties, early thirties, whatever. They they they're hearing what you're saying. They hear about your marriage. They hear about your life. They they want to get there. They say, you know what? At, at fifty, you know, I want to have this life and family. What would you say is your one point? of advice that you've done when you've counseled people to help them have the happy, satisfying marriage when it's all said and done. Okay. This is going to sound very religious. Go ahead. So no, I'll go just ahead, apologize. But, but really it's, it's my life verse. Yes. Most people have heard of the Sermon on the Mount and it's Jesus talk. He said, seek first mm-hmm. the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And those two things have driven my life. By seeking the kingdom of God, that means his authority and his rule. So I don't ask my wife to be everything to me. I have a purpose that God created me for. I'm gonna be happiest when I live in that purpose. And when I seek first his righteousness, I'm dying to everything that would push most wives away. Mm. I'm dying to pride. I'm dying to anger. I'm dying to the lust. I'm dying to selfishness. And then the qualities of Christ, gentleness, patience, kindness, courage, self-control, those are the things that build up a marriage. So when I just do what Jesus tells me to do in the Sermon on the Mount, when I try to become the kind of person Jesus calls me to become in the Sermon on the Mount, the end result is my marriage is gonna be blessed. Mm. And so I, I, that to me, just keep seeking God's kingdom so that you don't have a small life. You can't build a big marriage with a small life. Seek mm. his righteousness, not to lose happiness, but to preserve and gain happiness. And I'm just speaking as a guy who's 56. For me, I believe that more now than even when I was 20. It's been tested for three decades. Mm. And I, I found it to be true. Mm. That's, that's, 
I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. So, gang, um, one thing we like to do in our show, our, we, our listeners like to reach out to the people who came on the show, like to let them know what stood out to them and want to thank them because, you know, we, they were going to be extremely blessed by what you said. I know I've been blessed. Where, is, where can they reach out to you? Where is the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, my website is GaryThomas.com. Mm-hmm. So you can remember anything? GaryThomas.com. I have a Facebook page, Author Gary Thomas. Uh, Twitter is Gary L. Thomas. You can communicate through that. Uh, and my blog is on my website, GaryThomas.com. Mostly for married couples. We try to throw in stuff for singles every uh, few weeks or so as awesome. well. And then can you let them know about some of the books that you have for sale? Well, the ones that probably most poignant to what we've talked about or most particularly what we've talked about the sacred search Mm -hmm. uh, it's for singles it's everything i believed having dealt with marriage ministry for a couple decades what i would tell myself before i got married Mm. because often what creates a great dating partner doesn't create a great spouse and Mm. and the three things that most people most pursue think will create a good marriage studies show they don't predict future marital happiness and then other things that do. So things that don't look for what you think most people want because that doesn't lead to marital happiness. Look for other things that people tend to ignore. Mm. And then if you, you've mentioned a lot about sacred marriage, I've written several marriage books, but that's sort of the one that has that whole concept of how God can use marriage, even a difficult marriage to turn you into a certain kind of person. All those books would be listed on GaryThomas.com if they want to read excerpts or chapters or comments or, or whatnot. Mm. I ain't got no books for sale. <laughs> <laughs> well, G- Gary, uh, thank you so much. Like I said, you know, man, he he almost jumped in a different. When I heard those three, I was like, "Oh, I want to talk about that." But yeah. let's be respectful of the time. So, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, your boy Hafiz, Chris, the star of the show, baby. And Gary's where you say. Take care. <laughs> Where you say your name? All right, Gary Thomas. Yes, and we are the roommates. <laughs> and we are the roommates, guys. Go ahead and share, 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 share. If you watch this on YouTube, guys, go ahead and check it out. Subscribe to it. If you guys listen to it on SoundCloud and iTunes, whatever you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe. Thank you guys so much. We hope you enjoy. Hit up Gary. Let him know what's it out to you, and let him know why we're so thankful. We're the roommates, and we're out.